Good morning. Our scripture today comes from the second chapter of Genesis, found in your pew Bible on page two. We have chapter two. Then the Lord said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed, and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This, at last, is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man this one was taken. Therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning, church. My name is Rob Lau. I'm one of the pastors here at Ebenezer. And uh, the story is told that uh, there there was a woman, uh, a couple, in fact, who they were married and and they they spent their, their life together. Sixty years they were together. And uh, <laughs> and one day... Uh, they were laying down to go go to bed, and the the wife said to the husband, uh, "Baby, you know when when we were younger, you you used to lie close to me." So the guy scooted over a little bit in the bed, and then she said, "When when when we were younger, you used to hold my hand." And so he gruffed a little bit and reached out and took her hand. And then she said, when you were younger, you used to nibble my ear. And he got up out of the bed, started walking out of the bedroom. She said, baby, where are you going? He said, to get my teeth. (laughs) Because what he knew was that successful marriages and relationships require sacrifice like getting out of your warm bed to go grab your teeth from some effort He knew it. Today we are beginning a new sermon series. It's entitled, A Crazy Little Thing Called Love. It's a family enrichment series. We're going to talk about marriage uh, a bit. We're going to talk to people uh, who are married and people who, who aren't married. We're going to talk to people who used to be married and who might want to get married and people who want to stay single their entire lives. We're going to talk to people who are struggling in their marriage and who could write a book on marriage, all designed in such a way that we bring glory to Christ through our deepest relationships. And so we begin today with a sermon entitled, More Than a Piece of Paper. I want to suggest to you that marriage is more than a piece of paper. It's more than a civil union. It is, it's more than a legal contract. That marriage inherently is a missional institution. Marriage goes beyond the two people who are engaged in marriage, the husband and wife. Marriage is more than about those two folks. But before we get into that, I first wanted to share with you some realities about marriage and its state 
here in the U.S. So just a couple of statistics. Good news first. For decades now, the divorce rate has been on the decline. Can I get an amen? Amen. So we are to the point now in our society where about 41% of first-time marriages end in divorce. And I know that's still too many, but we're making progress. We are making some good progress, and and that's that's fantastic. Um, we, we have been... Uh, Watching for years, we've been watching families at times, some of us experienced this. Maybe we went through a divorce or our parents or grandparents went through a, a divorce. And, and as people were, were watching that, that reality has, has helped to start to shift the way people think about marriage. And it's caused younger people in particular to inhabit one of two growing trends. The first option that they've inhabited is the prospect of not getting married at all. Just as divorce rates have declined over the past 30 years, marriage rates have also declined uh, over the last 50 years. In 1960, 72% of all adults in the United States over the age of 18, 72% were married. 50 years later, by 2011, that number had dropped from 72% to 51%. And you might say, Pastor, are you, are you suggesting there's something wrong with being single? Absolutely not. You, you know the Bible tells us that being single is actually a blessed state. It's, it's a beautiful thing that if, if you can remain single, you'll have greater opportunities to serve God and make a difference in, in this world. There's not a thing wrong with it. I, I do want to tell you, though, that uh, recent research has suggested that married people identify themselves as very happy 28% more than single people do. Now I have a theory about why that's the case. I think it's quite likely that while those married people were filling out the survey, their spouses were sitting next to them. What do you think? <laughs> that's possible. So one, one thing that people have done as they've, they've watched how, how divorce can, can, can hurt folks. And by the way, I want you to know I'm, I'm not trying to be critical of people who have been through a divorce. We offer a ministry here called Divorce Care to try, try and help people in that scenario. I want to commend that ministry to you if, if you've seen it. But as, as young people have watched divorce and the, and the challenges that it can render in uh, families, they have also found uh, a second option. And um, a second option for those who have watched grandparents and grandparents get divorced is they choose to get later married later in life. Again, in 1960, the average man got married at the age of 22.8 years of age. In 1960, the average woman got married at 20.3 years of age. Fast forward 50 years, that age has increased by six years. The average man is 28.7 years of age. The average woman is 26.5 years of age today when they get married. And, and there's nothing, nothing wrong with this. My wife and I actually waited a little bit longer uh, to get married. One of us was 29 and one of us was 31. I won't tell you who was 29, but I feel like you know. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> Uh, and, but we, we had, we had ambitious goals. We wanted, I wanted to do this. Andy wanted to be a doctor and that requires that you go to school for a while to do these kinds of things. And so we, we weren't really serious about finding our spouses until later in, in life. And there's not a thing, not a thing in this world is wrong with that. However, it does, does create a problem for some people. Uh, and, and what, what I am seeing is I'm seeing trends of people getting married, uh, only after they lived with each other for a while. Now, what I'm not 
getting on is people who simply sleep under the same roof. There's nothing in the Bible that says it's wrong to sleep under the same roof. What I'm talking about is people who engage in the intimacy of marriage without the covenant of marriage being present in their lives. God calls us in Scripture to engage in celibacy in our singleness and faithfulness in our marriages. Celibacy and singleness and faithfulness in marriage. Why does God call us to do that? Is it because God wants to be a big fun sponge and take all the fun away from everything? No. Here's one of the things. God knows us. I want to point out something. People who live together before they get get married have a 50% divorce rate in the first five years after getting married. God, God knows that it is best for us to reserve that deepest form of intimacy until we are finding ourselves engaged in the marriage covenant. With so many folks struggling in marriage, it isn't hard to find a segment of our population who says that marriage is a dead institution. Pew Research found that 40% of Americans, when they were polled, said marriage is obsolete. 40%. I just want to add one other thing there. They also reported that of the 40% of people who said marriage was obsolete, most of them still wanted to get married. Which I thought was an interesting, interesting thing, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, and why, why is this? Well, there, there is this notion out there that marriage is, is, it's more romantic if we stay together, not because of some piece of paper or some agreement we made, but because we have love for one another. And they're right, marriage is more than a piece of paper. Goes far beyond civil union or contracts. Even though our society allows marriages, it's one of the easiest contracts in, in which you can engage. You know, marriage licenses are interesting. Let me talk about licenses for just a second. You know what you have to do to get a driver's license in the state of Virginia? You have to be 16 years of age, maybe a little bit older. Uh, apply in person to the DMV. You have to show appropriate documents, including your proof of identity, social security number, Virginia residency. You have to pass a vision screening, a knowledge exam, and a driving test to get a driver's license. To be licensed to sell somebody a house as a real estate agent, You have to spend 180 classroom hours doing board-approved classroom study. You you have to pass a a written exam both on the state and the national level. And you have to spend between 36 and 48 months under the tutelage of someone who is already licensed. That's in order to get a real estate license to be able to buy uh, or sell a house to somebody. If you want to get a marriage license in the state of Virginia, you have to have $30 and the right ID. We make it so easy as a society to enter into to this covenant. It's one of the reasons Pastor Mark and I require premarital counseling before people get married. And you need to know something. Those of you who are interested in getting married in the church, uh, we don't do premarital counseling because we, we want people to prove to us that they deserve to get married. That's not it. It's not about jumping through hoops. We, we do premarital counseling because we believe that there are some tips, some extra tools that we can have in our belts that will prepare us to have the most successful marriages we could have. And so we require three sessions before uh, folks get married. I suggest to you today marriage is far more than a piece of paper or a legal contract. This is where we move from identifying some of the challenges and nuances associated with marriage to talking about some solutions. But we have to understand that marriage exists for a purpose. Marriage is missional. 
In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we find the, the two creation stories in Genesis, beautiful complementary stories of, of creation. And as you go throughout Genesis chapter 1, have you ever noticed everything's good? It's all good in Genesis chapter 1. The, the stars are good, the sea is good, the air is good, the land is good, the fish are good, the trees are good, the animals are good, people are very good. It's not until you get to Genesis chapter 2 that we find that something is not good. And it's in Genesis chapter 2, God says, it is not good for man to be alone. What God identifies in Genesis chapter 2 is that we human beings have a hunger inside of us to have a deep connection to another in the context of covenant. After trying and failing to find something that meets Adam's need in the animal kingdom, God looks at the man and says, you're not going to believe what I have in store. And Adam is put into this deep sleep. And according to Genesis chapter 2, God causes Eve to emerge. And when Adam wakes up, he's, he's so stunned by the beauty of this creature that God has made for him. He says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. I'm going to call her woman because of, out of the man she has come. I just I want to acknowledge something here. This text in Genesis chapter 2 has been used as a foundational text for misogyny in the past. One of the ways that that men have been uh, disproportionately empowered is the belief that because women came from men, men are better than than women, which I find fascinating in this age because would you rather have an iPhone 5 or an iPhone 10? I want the new and improved version. How about you? That's what Scripture teaches us is that the ladies are in our lives. All playing aside, what God does in Genesis chapter 2 is he, he acknowledges a human need. It's not good for us to be alone. And then God meets that need. The first institution God gives to the world to help us live beautiful and abundant lives is the gift of marriage. God gave us helpers. Eve is described in Genesis chapter 2 as Adam's helper. The word helper is the word azer in Scripture. In Hebrew, it's azer. And it may be familiar with you because we are Eben Azer, United Methodist Church. That's that's where our, our name comes from. Azer means to help. Uh, we are Eben is is rock or stone, so we are the the rock of help is what Ebenezer means. But in the Bible, the word is used Azer. It means it means helper. This also has been something that throughout history, people have used to to articulate a, a, a qualitative difference between women and and men. That somehow men are better because women were designed to be our helper. But I just want to let you know something. If I could put on my biblical scholar hat for just a second. Every time, every single time the word azer is used in the Bible, the word azer is used to describe someone who is stronger helping someone who is weaker. Almost always the word azer is used to describe the way that God helps us in our time of need. What is the point? The point is that God didn't give us the gift of one another so we could lord ourselves over one another. No. What we find in Genesis is the call for two people to bring their mutual strengths to bear in such a way to bless the other and the whole world. Marriages are not just an agreement between husbands and wives. They are not. One of my favorite points in the, in the, the marriage liturgy is 
is the place in the liturgy. All, all the pomp and circumstance is already over. Like the bride has come down, it's been beautiful, and we've exchanged vows and, and given rings, and it's, it's been great. And right before the husband and wife leave is when my favorite line in, in, the, in the wedding liturgy comes out. It says, Bear witness to the love of God in this world so that those to whom love is a stranger will find in you generous friends. Bear witness to the love of God in this world so that those to whom love is a stranger will find in you generous generous friends. You ever hear people talk about marriage as if we're supposed to make it work? You ever heard that language associated with marriage before? I, I hear it with some degree of frequency. Oh, we can make it work or, or they can make it work. As if marriage is an old Chevy church. It's not. It's not. We're not supposed to make marriage work. When I talk to people on their wedding day, I tell them to shoot for the stars. I tell them to rewrite the book on love. I tell them that in this moment, you have the opportunity to do marriage better than anyone has ever dreamed it could be done. Love each other so beautifully that others will look at your love and they will know God exists because of the beauty with which you love one another. And I know what you're saying. Preacher, my marriage doesn't necessarily look like that. Mine either. But that's the goal. The goal isn't to make it work. The goal is not that Andy and Rob would be okay. The goal is that we would love each other so profoundly that all the world would be set on fire by the love God gave to us. It's worth noting, however, that even the first marriage had its rough spots. You remember in Genesis 3, when God comes to the garden and Adam and Eve had just eaten the fruit, and God says to Adam, "Uh, Hey man, did you eat the fruit I told you not to? And Adam's response is priceless. He says, "Um, well... The woman that you gave to me gave me the fruit and I ate it. Like, it wasn't my fault, God. You gave me this woman. It's kind of your fault. It's kind of her fault. But don't blame me. Here we are less than a chapter in the first marriage and Adam's narking on his wife to God, right? (laughs) Things are not always going to go perfectly in our marriage. But our love is not just for us. It's a way to demonstrate God's love for the world. And you could say, we don't love each other perfectly. Or you could say, we don't love each other perfectly yet. My marriage is not perfect. There are times Andy and I get frustrated with each other. I think there are times she feels like maybe I'm too hard on our kids. There are very rare occasions where I wish she would make a decision just a little bit faster. You know why she takes a while to make decisions? It's because she wants all the good evidence. She wants to make the right decision. There's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes I'm a little too hard on my kids and I I acknowledge that. And I'm trying to be better. But I recognize that part of my role is to help these young people grow up with a degree of discipline because I think that will help their lives be more fulfilling lives in the end. Wanting all the data, wanting good data before we make decisions Helping to discipline, neither of those things are are bad things, but in the midst of marriage, there are times that they can just, just get us off a little bit, move us away from where we wanted to be. 
But I understand what she thinks. When she understands what I think. It helps us proceed from grace rather than judgment. Our relationships require that we allow the other to have space and to process and to have time. But I want to challenge us today to never stop shooting for the stars when it comes to loving each other. Even though our relationships aren't perfect, they're just not perfect yet. Don't stop shooting for the stars. So today I want to, I want to throw out a very specific challenge to us today. We have the opportunity to write a new chapter in this thing called marriage. When the love between husbands and wives is described in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul doesn't use the word eros or erotic love. When Paul describes love between husbands and wives, he doesn't use the word phylos, brotherly love. In Ephesians chapter 5, when Paul instructs the church about how husbands and wives should love one another, the word he uses is the word agape. Agape love, that perfect godly love, that love that's described by Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. It's patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. We need marriages that keep no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth and hopes all things and believes all things and endures all things. Love never fails. That's the kind of love Paul says that we're supposed to have for one another because in so doing, we reflect the love that God has for us. So here is my challenge. To those of us who are married today, throughout the month of February, a month that is really about love. I want to invite us to covenant that every night throughout the month of February, every night before we go to sleep, we'll take our Bibles and that we will read 1 Corinthians 13 to one another about the love that God calls us to have. And I recognize, I know there are moments it will be a little awkward, especially if we just had a little bit of an argument Love is patient, love is kind. I'm so sorry. (laughs) The goal in this process is not simply for us to love each other better for our sake. Marriage is more than a piece of paper. It's more than a contract between two people. And so I challenge all of us to go forth and love one another in such a way that those to whom love is a stranger will find in us generous friends. What about people who are single? I want to suggest and challenge that you read 1 Corinthians 13 once a day as well. That that perhaps there's a day that you'll engage in the covenant of marriage. I want to encourage you to begin even now. Dreaming about the way you want to love that person in your life. To love them with such tenacity that the world will look at the love you have for one another and know beyond doubt that there is a God in heaven. So rewrite the book on love. Right now. Start today. Start fresh. Even if you have to go to the bathroom and get your teeth out of the effordant. Start today. Relationships are the most important thing God has given to us. So let us love one another with excellence. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this crazy little thing called love. 
And we ask that your Holy Spirit will continue to call us into deeper relationships with the people in our lives and deeper relationships with you. God, we pray for all, I pray for all who are married in this room today. I pray for those who are having trouble and those who could write that book on it. I ask, oh God, that you would give us a new vision, a new inspiration, that today we could strive to love one another with excellence and beauty. We could love each other the way you've always dreamed we could love each other. We could love each other the way that you have always loved us. Yes, oh God, help us shoot for the stars. Rewrite the book on marriage and do it better than anyone ever has. Not simply so our lives will be more fulfilling, though they will. But so everyone else can see the love between husband and wife. And know that there is a God. We pray these things with great expectation. For we pray them in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And all of God's people said, Amen.